This episode of the Real Women in Business podcast is sponsored by LCR Capital Partners. LCR Capital Partners supports families as they look to immigrate and invest in the United States. Learn more at lcrcapital.com. You're listening to the Real Women in Business podcast. I'm your host, Cass McCrory, and in this podcast, we highlight women in all kinds of businesses. For yourself, someone else, full-time, part-time, overtime hustle, Together, we will learn from and with one another. And if we get it right, it'll lift us all. Let's get into it. Friends, today we're talking to Shruti Sitram. She is a consultant within PricewaterhouseCoopers, a graduate here in the States, and recently completed the process of getting her green card. We're going to chat about how this journey started for Shruti from her older sister, heading to North America for school and, and how Shruti's made her own way in this journey and why ultimately she decided to stay in the States. This is a really fun conversation. And we talk about a lot of great things about, you know, finding a beer made by a fellow Indian in the middle of Boston. And we also talk about the reality of being an immigrant, being a minority and the holding the space for what that means in today's culture. This is just a wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Shruti, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited to do this. I want to just start off with who you are and what you do in the world. Um, Sure. Uh, So I'm Shruti Sitaram and uh, I'm a consultant with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I'd love to learn about your family background and kind of what's gotten you to this place, working at PwC, being, being here in the States. I'd love to know the journey. Tell, tell me what happened. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in India primarily, um, moved around the country a lot because of my dad's job. Um, and when I was about... I want to say 12 or 13, um, my older sister, who's five years older than me, was thinking about college and trying to figure that journey out for herself. And I got to see her go to college in Canada and just what that did for her, how she started to think about the world so differently to the way I did at that point. And so when my turn came to think about college myself, I thought maybe that was an option that would be good for me to pursue. So that's when I really started to look at options for studying um, abroad. And I kind of settled on the States because um, I'd had prior experience living in England. And there were some aspects of the culture I liked, some not so much. Um, And one of the things that I didn't really like about England was um, the homogeneity. I felt like the U.S. had a little bit more um, experience with multicultural um, diasporas coming together. Um, And I felt like that might be a more comfortable experience for me. Um, So I started to look into the U.S. as like a very legitimate option for college. And 
the other thing that was going through my head at the same time was that I wasn't necessarily fixated on a particular course of study at that point. I was just looking for more of a liberal arts kind of education. And that is something that the U.S. is really good at, which a lot of other countries don't really have systems around as yet. Um, so I landed up at Wellesley College when I was 18 and um, really loved it. It was such a different experience to anything that I would have ever seen in India and um, just like really helped me grow into who I wanted to be. Um, and then when I graduated Wellesley, I started working with Pricewaterhouse as a technology strategy consultant. So I've uh, been here for about um, four years with PwC now. And I've been in the U.S. for about eight years. Awesome. I'm curious, when your sister leaves and goes to school in Canada, and you're 12 at this point, is this when you start thinking about your path? Or had it happened sooner? I'm curious what an influence this older sister, you know, going her own way played in your story. I guess... It wasn't necessarily conscious when I was 12. I mean, that's pretty young for me to think yeah. about college. <laughs> um, but it was more just, you know, she would come back home every year. And like when I would see her over the winter and the summer, like it, it would start to sink in for me the way that like she was things that and like talking about experiences having that were so different to the way that I was experiencing things at that point, like the the conversations people were having in India, like the conversations that she was having were just very different. The kind of people that she was meeting, the diversity of experience that they were sharing, that was very different. So that was kind of something that really drew me in. Um, and so I guess it really started to become more of a conscious thought when I was like 15, 16. Um, and started to think about, you know, well, okay, what does it take for me to get there? Like, do I have to take tests? Do I have to talk to people about this? What do I really need to do? So that was uh, kind of when it started to crystallize more. How was your family feeling about this? Like, was this something that was expected or desired? Or were they kind of like, well, whatever you'd like to do? Well, I think they... Uh, um, weren't necessarily surprised. Um, I think having one daughter do this was um, kind of, it, it got them used to the idea. Yeah. And it's also not uncommon for a lot of Indian kids to go to college abroad. So I think it was definitely something that was contextually within their realm. Um, so when I started to you know, go down that path as well. They were pretty supportive about it. I think there were a few questions initially of like, are you sure this is what you want? And they did make me apply to a few schools in India as well, just to, you know, make sure I had that option. Um, but they were very supportive of me wanting to do this. You mentioned the liberal arts education is the interesting path for you. And I'm curious, what had been your experience with liberal arts education and what made you want to go in that route as opposed to a more traditional, you know, I'm going to be an engineer and so I'm going to go to engineering school and take that career path, which we see frequently. 
Yeah, I, I didn't have that clarity is, is kind of where I was coming from. Um, I didn't think I wanted to be an engineer, but I wasn't sure. I didn't think I wanted to be a doctor, but I wasn't sure. Um, th- there wasn't like a traditional path that I was set on. And it felt like the only path that would accommodate that was a liberal arts education. Yeah, I think looking at that exploration and having the opportunity to experience so many different ways to advance your education that you get through a liberal arts education, so valuable. Mm -hmm. That led you down a degree in economics. Yep. I'm curious about that. What drew you in to say, okay, I know that I want to specialize my study a bit into this area of economics? So the way that it was taught at Wellesley um, was really interesting. And this may have been something that a lot of students grow to expect when they decide that they want to major in economics. It definitely wasn't what I expected. Um, The idea was more, we're not going to teach you about hardcore finance or monetary policy. Like those are options, sure. Um, And we'll get to them if you're interested in that but it's really about a broader system of thinking. So it's more about economics as a way of um, understanding resource scarcity and allocation in the world. Um, and that that's such a broad mentality and that's so much of our day-to-day decision-making that that was just really interesting and felt very logical to me. Yeah. I think I also studied economics. So this is, I, I felt the same way, like the logical nature of it, the understanding, the cause and effect piece of it, all yeah. of it just clicked in a way that, that I felt like I could apply what I've learned from a logic base to any work from here and be better for it. Yeah, absolutely. How has that served your work at PricewaterhouseCoopers? So it's interesting because like a lot of the tasks that I do don't require me to think about like, you know, this, that formula that I learned, like I never have to set up a Lagrangian for my work, but um, it's, it's more about just thinking through first principles of, you know, what are the resources that this person has? What is the scarcity that they're facing? How do I think about um, allocating these resources to get them to the most optimal outcome that there is available. And that's what it broadly comes down to a lot of the time. And then, of course, there are other skills. As part of my economics degree, like I learned a lot of statistics and math, and that comes in handy day to day as I'm doing analyses and putting together the data that needs to support a lot of these decisions that I'm helping my clients come to. But I think the, the overarching philosophy of it is very much about you know, the basis of economics. I'm curious from school into your role, what led you then to pursue getting your green card here in the U.S.? I think when I started school here, I was pretty ambivalent about whether or not I wanted to stay in the U.S. I was still kind of considering my options. But after four years at school, I felt pretty comfortable in this and decided that I wanted to explore a career here. And then when I started down that path, I, you know, really started to enjoy it. And there's a lot about professional life here that 
fits well with my personality. There's also a lot about personal life here that fits well with my personality. I've, you know, developed a circle of friends here. I have like a, you know, a little base in Boston now. Um, I think Boston is actually the place that I've ever, like the longest I've ever lived anywhere. So this feels almost more like home than anywhere else has ever felt. That's lovely. That's lovely to, to think about curating that and, you know, having traveled and seen so much of India, have you had a chance to travel as broadly here in the U.S.? I have, yeah, uh, both through work and then through my own personal travels. If you were uh, to give advice to somebody that is starting their journey, whether it's, you know, they're exploring their educational prospects here in the U.S. and then considering what happens from there, what advice would you give them? Could you be more specific? Sure. Um, if you were speaking to a, a girl that, or a young woman that you knew that was graduating from, you know, secondary school in India and is coming to school with no expectations about how this is going to turn out, what do you think led to you having the best experience? Um, I guess, okay, so what led to me having the best experience and what I would now tell myself looking back are probably two different things. I wanna hear both. <laughs> I think having the best experience was just trying to stay in the moment and not having, you know, too many doubts, not planning too much, not questioning too much. Like I, like my, and my family will tell you I'm a planner. Um, I was applying to jobs at, you know, like halfway through college. Um, like th there's, I think there is just a lot of planning that goes into wanting to stay in the U.S., but that's not what's going to give you the best experience. And so I feel like those two things are inherently contradictory for me because um, the advice I would give is plan, but that's not enjoyable. <laughs> well, I think that there's a prudence to planning that allows you to have the best experience. That's fair. That's fair. When you think about um, the path that you've taken, what are you most excited about next? Um, I'm, I guess I'm at kind of a turning point in my career. I'm thinking about business school as an option. Um, and for a while within PwC, I've been trying to transition from working on primarily financial services consulting to working more on healthcare consulting. It's very much the zeitgeist, so it just feels more urgent and more relevant. Um, and I think that that as a career path is something that I would want to explore more. That's awesome. Do you feel like you have a different set of opportunities based on the decisions that you've made in staying in the U.S.? I definitely do, yeah. Um, I think that in the U.S., um, it's not necessary to have a graduate degree before you can gain like, good work experience. In India, that tends to be viewed differently still. Um, I think a lot more people end up going to graduate school there, not because they want to or need to. It's just a requirement for having any sort of valid work experience that gets you on a career path you want to be on.
yeah, I think I've, I've definitely heard that from other guests and from other women that, you know, this track really provides you an opportunity to get your feet wet and learn what work you enjoy doing and helps you adjust your focus in graduate school so that mm -hmm. it can be in greater alignment to what you want. Yeah. Okay. I've got a lightning round of questions that I want to ask you, but before I get into those, was there anything that we were hoping we could talk about today that we haven't chatted about? Um, I guess the, the other thing that I would say on a more personal note, just kind of working through all of these incredibly difficult conversations that are now starting in light of um, um, George Floyd having been murdered. Um, that, that definitely puts them in perspective. Um, coming to the U.S., you learn how to be a minority. And I say that with two things in mind. Um, I guess that's something that I would consider. Like, I never thought about that when I was leaving India. Like, I never thought about myself as a minority in India. Like, I'm, I'm a gender minority in India. I'm not a, a racial or ethnic minority in India. Um, but I do think that it can pose challenges being here as a minority. Um, but at the same time, if you do pursue this route, route um, of applying for a green card through the investor process, I feel like it's also your obligation to recognize your position of privilege and being able to do that. What advice would you give someone as they're considering this from, uh, from that lens of, you know, coming from a place of likeness to a place of minority? I I think it's important to stay open to learning um, and recognize that you don't know everything about everything. Yeah. That's good lessons for everybody. Yeah. We have a saying that we use in our house. We come to learn. That's what we're, we've come to do this life together to learn. And mm -hmm. inherently we will make mistakes in the right way. We will. Yeah. Um, and it's how we learn from them that distinguishes us. Yeah, because I think it's also when you sit in another country and have this third-person perspective on what's happening here, it's, it's easy to come to judgments about the way you expect to be treated, you, you know, the way things might progress once your feet are actually on the ground. Um, I will say, like, as somebody who's been living here for the past few years, like I've very rarely had uncomfortable experiences where I felt um, that people were, you know, making decisions about me based on the color of my skin. Um, but when it has happened, it has been extremely uncomfortable. Um, and then it's also about recognizing the fact that in even situations that I, I do have relative advantages compared to other people. Like I, you know, have a steady job. I have the resources to, you know, find legal help should I need it. But there are options available to me that aren't necessarily available to everyone. That's a really great point. And, and recognizing both, you know, you, you can hold space for being uncomfortable and also 
hold space for being uncomfortable for other reasons too, both, yeah. both as the privilege and as the under. So it's both. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but it's difficult yeah. to hold both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Recognizing that that's part of, part of the journey and part of what you'll learn, I think is important to know coming into it. Yeah. Were you surprised? Like, was there, was there an element of surprise or culture shock in that for you? Um, I guess that there, it's a bit of a process, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't know that I necessarily, I guess the way I feel about it is that these protests that we're seeing now are unlike any other. I don't think that we've ever had protests that have lasted as long, that have been as high impact in terms of the number of people taking to the streets, making their voices heard through other channels, donating to these causes. Um, And I guess that's hitting home for me because I had never considered, like, this was never something that had stayed present in my mind for as long as it is now. Um, This is almost something that, you know, is woven throughout my day now as I'm looking on, you know, Instagram and the news and um, it's just like omnipresent. And I feel like it speaks to my relative privilege that I haven't had this be omnipresent before today. Mm. It is confronting in that way. Yeah. So I continue to be surprised as I guess my point, because there, you know, I guess the first time I'd heard of incidents around police um, based on race that that surprised me Mm -hmm. and every time there has been um an incident that's in a similar vein it has surprised me but i think it just continues to surprise me yeah or confront me i like the way that you phrased it yeah i i had been using the word surprised and then i had a good friend that let me know that that was a bit insulting to her personally because this has been happening for so long. It's that it hasn't remained prevalent in my own stream of view for long enough for me to feel confronted by it. It's I've, mm-hmm. I've been in a place of privilege that it's always been surprising. And so every time it happens, I'm yeah. like, Oh, what's happening? You know, surprise. Meanwhile, truly it's been confronting. It has come up and, and now it remains prevalent. I think as, as somebody that does come from a place of great privilege and recognizing that, I believe that all of this work will make us stronger as a country and as a universal people. You know, like we are yeah. humans inhabiting this planet. I believe good things will come. I agree. And I really hope so. Yeah. Uh, this was... Uh, a really great conversation. Thank you for being open to chatting about this work and, and what we're seeing in the world today because it's relevant and I hope that it remains relevant and you sharing your voice on this ensures that it does. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. I've got a lightning round of questions for you. 
favorite spot to go in the U.S. when things are open? Beer gardens. (laughs) (laughs) I really like beer. And that's something that I don't think I would have gotten to experience in India. Like the microbrewery scene in Bangalore is still pretty limited. Um, (laughs) And there's nothing quite as satisfying as the New England IPA. Oh, I'm with you. What is your favorite? What is your favorite right now? Um, So I just managed to get my hands on some Trillium, Mm. which is, yeah, I don't know if you know it, but they are great. Um, And don't circulate lately. So I found a restaurant near me that's selling some of their beer. So I'm very excited about that. That's awesome. Um, we, I'm a big fan of Single Cut, which is in Brooklyn. Oh, I love Single Cut. Oh, everything they do in the double dry hop New England. I'm yes. like, please. Well, that's up the next. 18 watt is one of my favorite beers. Yes. I also like the Jenny said. Jenny said is a great one. I don't think I've had that one. Oh, it's good. It's really good. Um, and then we had, there's a local beer called Three Heads Brewing in Rochester mm-hmm. and they have like wild cans. They're very fun, but they have this sweet juice coupe, which is mm-hmm. a New England lager, which I mm-hmm. was like, Okay fantastic it's like juicy and hoppy and that sounds amazing oh I found this uh, brewery not too far away from me in Boston called Mighty Squirrel okay and their co-founder is Indian and he's from Chennai and I was so excited when I heard this like for some reason like it doesn't actually physically make the beer any better but somehow for me it mentally does and they have like beers named after old Hindi movies like Bazigar, which is just very exciting. <laughs> I, I'm so glad we went down this rabbit hole because there is so much. I think that's something that I, I didn't expect when I was having these conversations, but almost everybody has had a moment where they found a bit of home here in the States mm-hmm. and it didn't come the way they thought it would, but it was such a, a moment of like being known or being a part of something that was bigger. Yeah. It's that it's just like being acknowledged, but in a way that's unexpected. That's awesome. Next airplane ticket you will be looking forward to buying. Well, I was thinking of going to London in July, but that's clearly not happening. I think (laughs) the next one will be Germany over the winter. Very nice. What is inspiring you these days? Um, Honestly, all of the good work that I'm seeing happen right now to bring light and positivity into this very dark situation that we are finding ourselves in. Any last advice you would give to somebody that is just starting the process? It took you just over a year from the filing of your I-5 26 to uh, receiving your green card, what advice would you give to somebody that just filed their paperwork today? Um, Definitely do your research and save all of the documents. Very good. Good, prudent information there. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks so much. Um, I love this conversation and I'm sure our listeners will too. I'm glad. Thank you.